The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Welcome into the Autzen Audible's podcast. Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared back on the show. Welcome uh, to your Wednesday edition, or maybe it's a Thursday or a Friday. Uh, whenever you are listening to this, we're recording it on a Wednesday morning. Rainy. It's been It's been tough to get outside the last couple of weeks. So Oregon has been practicing inside the Mashofsky Center. Uh, we're praying, hoping that Saturday's spring game will be dry. Um, I'll, I'll, at this point, I'll take dry, even if it's not sunny, if it's just really overcast and cloudy. Um, I'll, if, it, if it means it's dry, I'll take that. The sun would be perfect, but it's going to be tough to get that out. Um, we're a couple days away now, guys, and – Oregon had their second scrimmage uh, last weekend, and when we showed up to practice on Tuesday, there were some notable guys not practicing. There were some notable guys practicing. A little bit more full go. Let's start there, the positives, and then we'll get to the negatives, maybe how it's impacted the depth chart a little bit. But uh, Justin Flo back on the football field. He's, he's been doing stuff. I think last time we were on the show all together – uh, we, we brought up that he was doing things, but it wasn't full go. And now it feels like he's probably almost there. He, he took part in 11 on 11. Yeah, that's the big takeaway. When they did fastball, he took part. Um, and this, I mean, I think this is the first time we'd really seen him do positional drills either. Um, yeah. We'd seen him operate almost, I think we talked about this last week. And by the way, good to have Matt back on the show because you were sick for a week and and then you've kicked it. So Matt's Matt's back full force going into the spring game, which I wasn't sure we'd get. So awesome. <laughs> um, but no, the point I was going to make was just that when the, the thing with Flo is like last week, he started like basically simulating a running back during linebacker drills. And that was like kind of the most we saw him do. And for him to come out on Tuesday and warm up you know, with the group, like with his line, with the other linebackers to do some positional stuff and then to be a second team or with a second group, I guess, of linebackers during fastball was, was really, I think, encouraging. And Landing said the same thing. Um, just he said how eager Flo was to get back, how fun it was to see him out there, but also kind of pumped the brakes a little bit in terms of like, it's going to take a while to get him back in full form. And I, he didn't shut the door again. He was asked, and this will be the last time he'll be asked because he won't speak until after the spring game, about flow possibly participating and he said we'll see so i think it's possible he's out there maybe a little bit but i also would be probably pretty like if, if you're if you're going expecting him to play probably pump the brakes on that i think this would just be kind of an added an additive this would be kind of another i guess it'd be fun to see him out there but i'm not expecting it as we're all land i guess that's why i feel too it'd be great to see him i'd love to watch justin flow play football again uh, i mean we've been missing him for a, a long time now barely ever get to see him on the field um but because we barely have ever got to see him on the field i don't think there's any reason to rush him back um and basically that's what oregon's been doing this entire spring camp he really hasn't done anything in spring camp so far up until tuesday he's gone through warm-up drills um literally just like stretches and working out with the rehab group. Um, I believe last week was the first time we saw him participate in any linebacking drill or position drills, and he wasn't even emulating a, a linebacker. Yeah. He was a running back. So that was something. Um, I think, you know, like the first note of a potential flow return was, uh, I think, a week ago where uh, somebody asked if Justin Flo would be able to go for the spring game, and Dan Lanning was like, I don't know, we'll see. And it wasn't a definitive yes, but it also wasn't a definitive no. 
Uh, and I thought that was really interesting at the time. And now we have the same answer here a week later. Um, it's just the other thing we should note is that Justin Flo is still wearing trainers, even when he was in the in the fastball period, the 11 on 11. Um, trainers, if you don't know, are just like specialized training shoes that are made for turf. Um, that's what the, the group, the rehab group will wear compared to everybody else on the field who is wearing cleats. So Flo was still in trainers when everybody else was in cleats in the 11 on 11 portion, which I thought was interesting. It's also interesting that he was a second team linebacker because that is a group that is pretty well established in terms of depth. Um, but, and then he just, you know, came right in and it was second team. Uh, I think it's a, it's a positive development. Nonetheless, there's no reason to rush him back. I would love to see him play, but if he doesn't, that is what it is. It's okay. There were some other guys that were unavailable. Um, I, I think most notably Noah Sewell, but it doesn't sound like it's an injury. It's more so um, he was just under the weather. Um, we also saw Christian Gonzalez and I, with the rehab group. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, th- I think it's fair to say he's kind of the expectation for him is to be the number one corner. And he was with the rehab group, the two practices away from the spring game. Yeah. Um, neither Noah Sewell or Brian Addison were seen at Tuesday's practice. Uh, I guess the, 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 the approach is that they're kind of under the weather, or that's what Dan is saying. And so that's kind of where both of them were grouped in. I think that the assumption there is it's nothing serious, but maybe both of them are sick. Maybe they suffered minor injuries, but they aren't available for Tuesday. I'll be curious to see on Thursday if either or both of them are back. I think that'll be telling. Um, at this point, I would expect both will be able to play, play in the spring game just because they've been with the first team and in full participants all spring. So who knows? Gonzalez, I think he's a little bit more cautious with because he was at practice, didn't do hardly anything. You know, I think it was notable when the team did wind sprints. Basically, everybody at least did some light jogging or full wind sprints, like Flo did wind sprints, Popo did wind sprints, Damon David did wind sprints. The second two there, along with Flo, like hadn't really been doing much of anything of late, and it was good to see them running. But even like Keon Ware Hudson and Brendan Dorless, who were dealing with lower body injuries, were like lightly jogging on the sideline, but Christian Gonzalez and Dante Manning, I mean, no Manning's dealing with some sort of left leg. We think a knee injury. Those two stood and watched that portion. I thought that was not a great sign. Um, I say all that, but landing said it's precautionary and he's fine. So um, we'll see. That's another one of those. Like I think between Sewell, Addison and Gonzalez, like we'll probably get a little bit better idea on Thursday, depending upon their involvement. I would probably feel a little bit less confident you see Manning and Gonzalez at all in the spring game than I do at the others. And that puts a lot of pressure on the young corners. I know it's a spring game. It doesn't count in the books, but it, it it's kind of been the case the last couple of years. I think the last two spring games as well, there have just been down like key players, like in yeah. the secondary. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess they didn't do one in 2020, but like last year for sure, they, they were down. I think Mikhail Wright was out. I think DJ James was out and it was a bunch of young guys. I think we're kind of going to get another example of that this this spring because I don't know if we see either one of Manning or Gonzalez out there. And as we've said previously, it sort of has felt like those two had distanced themselves a little bit from the rest of the pack as the top two corners. I wonder if Triquas Bridges comes over. I know they talked about him kind of making that move a little bit, although he was still at safety, I think, at least in the 11-on-11 11 11 when we watched. Or that was correct, correct, Jared? Yeah, he was at safety, yep. And so I would imagine it might be a lot of Darren Barkins, Avante Dickerson, and recent enrollee Jaleel Florence. I think you're going to see him play a lot. So I think Oregon fans are excited by him. I think he's going to be a guy who plays a ton of snaps because there really aren't too many alternatives. And who knows? Gonzalez might be back on Thursday, and he'll be doing fine. Yeah. We'll go. But, like, right now, that's kind of my feel on it because unlike the other two who you could, if they're under the weather, that makes sense. Maybe they're sick. Maybe, they, maybe they've got COVID. I have no idea. This is hypothetical, but like they're not at practice. But we saw Gonzalez there not doing anything and like being very yeah. careful. To me, that was a little bit worse indication, although Dan's saying it's precautionary. I think it was encouraging that, that Dan was so quick to dismiss like the notion that he was like really injured or anything like that, that he was just really just being precautionary. Um, but for basically all the reasons Eric outlined how he didn't run or didn't participate in any drills and really was just with the rehab group all day. It's not the best sign. 
he's another guy where if he doesn't play in the spring game, so be it. Yeah. Um, we know Dante Manning isn't playing. He's still in that left knee brace, or left leg brace really goes all the way up. Um, but Manning is all just a quick side note. Manning is always in really good spirits on the sideline when he warms up with the rehab group. So I think that's a positive development because I don't know about you guys, but if I had some catastrophic season ending injury, I would not be happy, would not be a happy <laughs> camper. So it's, it's good to see Manning and all those guys. Um, but uh, specifically for Sewell and Addison, I think it's also encouraging that it's a sickness. Um, Landing for Sewell specifically mentioned that he was under the weather. Addison seemed to be both under the weather and banged up. So that was kind of a coach talk moment, um, which is which is fine. But in his place, quickly going to defense, he had Bennett Williams line up as a deep safety and then Jamal Hill at the star safety, something that I think a lot of people have talked about before and how to get both of those guys onto the field because those are two of your best safeties. Um, but Addison for the entire spring camp has been uh, with Tricross Bridges as a number one deep safety. Um, just a few things to keep an eye on. Uh, obviously, the spring game is important. It's fun for the fans. It's fun for us. Um, but it is not the end of the world if somebody doesn't play because they're kind of banged up and the staff wants to be cautious. And I don't think that's a bad thing, especially considering how many injuries were you know, happened last year. I think most Oregon fans would say, sure, hold up. Don't put them in the game. We don't want any more injuries. We're good. Just just play, have some fun. Let let Aaron Smith have 44 carries again, and Dondrell Brooks can take all the snaps at cornerback. Third week or what? fourth week of, of spring practice, and we did get to see some 11-on-11 11 11 again. Um, and, look, it's, it's a rotation. And this is the first time that we saw Bo Nix work with the third-team offense um, Ty Thompson was with the with the first group. Uh, Jay Butterfield was with the second group. And we should know, like, I felt like maybe it was just me, but the third the third group on offense, which had Bo Nix, they were probably the ones that moved the ball maybe the most efficiently down the field. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a group of, of skill guys that were – Bo Nix and then Delgado and and Lowe. Uh, I I think um, walk on Tyler Nanny was the tight end. Um, they had a walk on running back, um, Hassenrittner at, at at that position, um, and yet Nix was able to move the offense. I felt like, and it was you know that's notable to me. Yeah, it's about five plays for each group. Um, it's I don't know. I don't. I'm not taking a ton away from it. I'm guessing the sure. couple. Competition drills later in the day are probably a lot more instructive. I hate to say it, like because um, they're doing like, I mean, not not to say it's not competition what we're watching, but they're in situations that are probably more game like than where this feels like they're just trying to get plays out quick. Um, but he's not you're not wrong at all, Matt. I mean, like Justice Low and Del Josh Delgado both had nice plays and nice catches. Uh, Low probably had the biggest play from scrimmage of of Tuesday's practice on about I think about 15 20 yards. Kind of pass to the middle of the field, made a couple guys miss and got up the field. They were in full pads, by the way, so it was full contact. Um, Sean Dollars, by the way, running with the first team, had a couple of nice runs, I thought. Mm -hmm. um, Ty Thompson, as you said, Matt was the quarterback there. Not a ton of success throwing. I'm not sure if he threw a completion. I'd have to go back and look at my notes. Um, and maybe one. Maybe. I don't I don't off off my memory, I don't specifically remember, but yeah. might have been but, one. I mean I will say like the the most like and again, these are 15 plays. It's coming fast. The, the probably yeah. the most, the biggest play, the, like the most explosive play, if, if there really is one, was the one below with the third team. And Nick's was the quarterback there. Yeah, it's it was not a good day for the quarterbacks in general. Um, I think Bo had Bo had obviously the best day, but he had two completions, and he was going against the third team defense with yeah. scholarship wide receivers. When the third team defense had, well, let me look, six total scholarship players. So. It's that's his pickings like he should be doing well there. Um, but I do think it's really interesting that this is a pure rotation of players and a pure rotation of quarterbacks. This is the first time that we have seen a media availability during practice that bonus is on the third team. We've seen every other quarterback be on the third team and Ty Thompson and, and uh, Jay Butterfield. Uh, we've now seen every quarterback take part with every group 
not team, excuse me, every first, second, or third group. Um, I, I just think it's interesting. I don't, I don't know if that means a whole lot. I don't know if we're just reading the tea leaves too much to say that this is still like a really open battle. Um, I would suspect it is still an open competition, but uh, I, I do think that at least what they're showing to us uh, that they're they're really going through all the options here as a coaching staff and trying to figure out who is the best quarterback to lead the team for the upcoming season. Um, we should also note that we got some more details on this spring game. Um, Dan Lanning continues to say it's going to resemble as close to a, a spring game as or a normal game as, as they possibly can. And we don't yet have the full rosters, but it's starting to trickle out here a little bit. Um, They've released some receivers and DBs for the yellow and the green teams. And it feels like, and I'm excited for this part because typically a lot of schools just try and make up some funky system and, you know, have practice and call it a spring game. It feels like this is going to be an actual game, which is very beneficial for us to learn a bunch of information. And it's just more enjoyable. Yeah. Do you remember when like Helfrich and Aliotti had their, kind of scuffle over the scoring of a spring game where like yeah. the offense scored like two touchdowns, but they won like, or maybe I forget what the scoring was, but it was like absolutely absurd. The defense could not have any success and they scored it that way. Um, yeah. This is not that. And it, it, it also is not ones versus twos, ones versus ones. Like it's going to be, it's as we've seen already uh, on Tuesday. And by the time you listen to this, there might be more teams announced, but Tuesday afternoon slash evening, they kind of information dumped. Um, I thought it was kind of a cool approach by the way on this, but just, Here's here's all the run here here's where the defensive backs are playing or the corners are playing which teams yeah. yellow and green they're splitting up between yellow and green same thing with the receivers each of the players on each of the teams did like a little 15 to 20 second video they posted on social media um, telling which team they were playing on encouraging people to come out and bring um, non perishable food items I, I just thought that was a really cool approach especially because like as Jared and Matt and I were messaging on on Slack it's like I didn't know who several of these guys were like we've been watching practice and there's you know, probably a dozen or more walk-ons on the that are on the team who just haven't been on the roster even handed. And so we learned who some of those guys were, which is kind of fun. Um, but yeah, no, this is going to be, from all accounts, a, a game. And I'm going to guess they're going to probably play the first half normal, you know, clock and the second half is probably going to be running because yep. it can't go over the allotted two, maybe they have a little wiggle room, maybe a little more than two hours um, because it is technically still a practice workout. It's not a game. Um, so I think that's what you're going to see, and I think it's going to be split clearly pretty evenly. We don't know the methodology behind how they're splitting it, if it was a draft, if they were just choosing to pick the players and you know how it went down. But it looks like they're doing it fairly evenly based upon the way it's been split so far. Uh, and it doesn't feel like it's ones versus twos like it had. I think Mario kind of would go good on good, and then also ones versus twos at different times during his spring games. This feels like it's a mix of talent, which – a is not going to tip their hand at all in terms of what a depth no. looks like, which is smart, <laughs> it. but it's also going to probably be a really cool and fun indication of kind of um, how some of these groups could work together and, and kind of just seeing individually how some of these players compete with each other. So I think it's going to make for a fun spring game. As you can see, though, and with some of the injury concerns, like the corner depth could be I – mean, there's going to be guys who Jared and Matt and I didn't know like 48 hours ago what their names were who were probably going to play a lot of snaps at corner. Yeah, the the cornerback depth is going to be something to watch. Um, I'm just yeah, no, I'm just excited overall. Um, just the to see the rosters announced at least for the DBs and wide receivers. I thought that was an interesting way of doing it. Uh, I didn't, uh, yeah, like like Eric mentioned with with Cristobal the last few years, it's really just been like the ones, the twos, and the threes going at each other. First team offense, first team defense, whatever. Um, this will be a lot more intertwined. You'll get a lot. You'll get to see a lot more. Um, a lot more snaps for players who maybe wouldn't have gotten a lot of snaps, say they were on the third team or even the second team at points. Um, it'll just be fun. I think you'll get a lot of different matchups that you don't expect. Um, uh, we'll see what the rest of the rosters look like in terms of what I'm, I'm assuming they'll probably split up all the linebackers, stuff like that. Um, I doubt they'll do something like that for the quarterbacks. I think they'll just kind of throw them out there and, and have them – have them go at it with whatever team that is on the field. Um, but yeah, it's the, the, the one annoying thing is that it was super smart of them to do it like this, to not show their hand. And that's going to make, you know, it's going to make our job difficult. Um, but it's, it's 
smart of Dan Lanning and company. Uh, they just, that's just a little like a hidden trick almost where it's like, well, this is the chance to show exactly who the ones, the twos and the threes are in our depth chart. But we've said all spring camp, there isn't a one or two or a three team. This is going to be, and if you're looking at that, you're looking at the wrong thing. So mm-hmm. here we are continuously looking at the wrong thing because here I am trying to figure out who's going to be the first team and second team offense and defense. I wouldn't be surprised if the quarterbacks are not assigned one yeah. team. Mm-hmm. Like if, that's what if, I was saying. Just I mean, throw them out there. Like just they're going to be in red jerseys and they're not going to be on either team. And it's, and cause I was going to say like, at one point I was like, well, the guy that's like the scholarship guy that's by himself with yep. AJ Abbott. Um, yeah, I was wondering the same thing. Like that will, that will help dictate a little bit because maybe that guy gets more reps until the fourth quarter. And then AJ Abbott takes all of it um, in that situation. Because then it's an opportunity, hey, let's get this guy a ton of reps, see what he can do. Maybe it's the, the third guy, or maybe it's the number two, and you want to see how he handles things. But it wouldn't blow me away like, if they just, all right, yellow team is first series, it has Bo Nix, green team has, has Jay Butterfield, and then yellow team, Jay Butterfield comes out again for you know a second series in a row, but for the other team. Uh so that's kind of what I'm where I'm leaning that they land. Um, it's going to be tough, like you guys said, of figuring out depth charts. But it, I, I think I'll probably be going back and watching when I watch the film of it more, just the matchups and seeing. Okay, let's say Christian Gonzalez does play. Like, how does he fare if he's matched up against you know Dante Thornton the entire game? Like that that would tell me something. I was just gonna say, like, not having the depth chart maybe frees us to just kind of assess and just analyze the game, yeah, too. the game a little more naturally, which is probably not a bad thing. Because I, I will say, like, we talk about some of the practice takeaways from those fastball periods, and it's kind of hard because I'm scribbling down numbers the entire time, and then kind of by the fourth or fifth rep, I've got all the numbers written down, and I'm kind of then processing what's happening. So I'm mm-hmm. certainly missing things, and that's why it's great when Matt's there taking photos. We can go back and kind of see who caught passes and what happened. Um, it's going to be kind of maybe a little bit freeing almost to not have to be worried about the depth chart as a, as a viewer like us who are focused, so focused, you know, so tightly on kind of like, okay, who's, who's with the second team left. Who's the second team left guard. And, Oh man, this guy's playing that position. Well, he was over here. Like that stuff kind of goes out the window and we can just kind of enjoy the game. We'll be able, I mean, it will be notable to see in some, in, you know, there'll be some insights of like who's playing left tackle. Is this right. guy playing the mic, you know, or the Mac, uh, not the mic, the money or the Mac money. Please linebacker uh, who's playing, you know, who's playing nickel, like those kind of things will be like positionally we'll be able to take away from, but because there's no, there's clear, no clear cut depth chart. I do think we'll be able to maybe just kind of enjoy and and process a little bit better. Some of the things we see out there. I was going to say, it's like, we're definitely going to enjoy it a little bit more about not having to worry about a depth chart, but we're still going to go in there and be looking at who's playing what position, uh, like literally every single down and then pointing out like, Oh, who's, Who's 46? Who is this? Like, what, what position is that? Um, Devin Morrow. Devin Morrow, yeah. I, I was hoping you would get that one. It's, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's still going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I'm super excited. It's going to be the first, uh, first spring game with fans, too, in a little bit of time. So there uh, should be plenty of them. And, like, Eric brought this up a long time ago when we started this segment. Um, each, of the, each of the players on the yellow and green, if they have a social media, specifically a Twitter account, they posted their 10 to 15 second video asking fans to come to the game, donate canned canned goods, and uh, you know either rep green or yellow depending on what team they were. Um, I think it's been uh, social media in general for Oregon football has been a lot of fun in the last couple months, uh, you know. Um, but this one specifically was a lot of fun to be able to see and put a lot of names to faces and faces to names for the team um, and us too, like Eric mentioned, but. Uh, just a, another exciting time in Oregon football. Should also note that I, I can't recall a spring game getting this much just promotion. Um, you touched on it there, Jared, but like I was driving my kids to school today, and all of a sudden Kenny Dillingham was on the radio asking people to come to the games, like in an ad. Like I, I don't recall the last time a uh, Oregon had its head coach 
on a sponsored ad by the University of Oregon um, to have fans come out, let alone a coordinator that doing it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. it like the, the promotion here, I mean, like when, when landing first showed up and all the assistants first got here and, you know, like spring ball got announced back in February or, or January, whenever it was like, they were all like pack Otson, you know, let's get Otson going for the spring game. And like every staff does that. Like, Every new staff, like, oh yeah, we want the biggest crowd, but like, this feels different. This like, they're actually out there, you know, doing their their social media marketing really hard to, to truly pack Otson. I'm gonna be curious what the crowd's gonna be like because, like, like Jared said, first first fans in Otson Stadium for a while. I, I'm yeah, I'm really curious what the fan turnout is. I know quite a few friends and family of mine are are waiting on the weather. <laughs> Yeah, because as Matt it said, looks good. It, it looks good. It looks good for great now. right now, and and it's. I thought it was funny because I think it was James Crappy of the Oregonian who asked Dan like, "What are you looking for from the spring game or hoping fans take away?" I think the first thing he said for it's going to be great weather because <laughs> I think that preempts that preempts the concerns that are out there right now. Because even right now as we're recording this, I can hear the rain coming down outside. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so, so it's it's not it's, good. It's it's been it's been wet, and they've been in the Mashovsky now for two straight weeks, and I've been guessing on Thursday they'll be there again. The, the weather forecast looks like it's clearing. It looks like it could be a really beautiful day. I think, sadly, I hate to say it because it seems kind of a small thing, but it's also not. Like, if you have the choice between sitting in your dry apartment or home and watching the game on the Pac-12 networks or going to the game and sitting in Absolutely. the rain, it's it's a it's more it's a tough choice. But if it's a really nice day outside, I think you could see. I don't know. I'm not sure what the number should be. Thirty thousand. I mean, like, you could get a good turnout. Oh, it's definitely. Yeah, I think it can get that much, if not even maybe even more, honestly. Because it's like like we've been saying, uh, it's the first spring game in two years. So I was going to have fans there, and I, you know, everybody's waiting for a good weekend in Eugene. Remember, like two, three weeks ago, there was like that seventy-seven day in like a middle of the week, and everybody's outside. I'm driving around campus, and there's just kids playing beer die, all that. Everybody's dying for a really nice weekend, and it seems like for right now on the schedule, it seems like that's an opportunity this weekend. Let's take a quick break. We come back. We had a long discussion with special teams coordinator, Joe Lorg, and I think we learned a ton of information about what Oregon is doing and, and why they're doing it on special teams. Rise and shine, football fans. This is Susanna Fuller from Morning Footy, a podcast part of the CBS Sports Galazzo Network covering the breadth of the global game. Join me, Nico Cantor, Charlie Davies, Alexis Guerreros, and guests every morning for the perfect blend of news, analysis, conversation, and exclusive interviews. If you love soccer, then look no further. We've got you covered for Europe's top five leagues, the W Gold Cup, the Champions League Knockout Stage, CONCACAF Nations League, NWSL, MLS, Transfer News, and much more. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found. Subscribe to Morning Footy. Citizen sleuths are focusing on the brutal slayings of four college kids. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. This is the start of something major. Follows online detectives as they unravel the mystery of the infamous Idaho College murders. There's plenty of places to hide a weapon. And turned it into a social media phenomenon. Where are the roommates? It is a huge night. What was the truth from you? Hashtag cyber sleuths. The Idaho murders now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Uh, special teams, I feel like, A, it is Eric's wheelhouse. It's I, Eric, is this your favorite topic that we talk about when we talk about Oregon football, or is it walk-ons? It's, oh, <laughs> it's between those two. I just like identifying all the people on the team, first off. So probably walk-on duty, because I because it's like my pet like project of – at media, I'll just be like, give me a number, and I usually can identify who they are, unless it's like a guy whose name wasn't on a roster <laughs> until two days ago, and now I've got to learn a bunch of new names. Um, no, I really, I really enjoy this, and the, yeah, and special teams in general, I have a blast with, just because it's like I feel like people just kind of ignore it, and frankly, Oregon, it feels like has kind of ignored it as a, as like a program recently, and <laughs> that is not how this feels at all right now under Lorig. Um, go ahead. We've we've talked a lot. And my point was, is it's not just you. Like, I, I'm all in on it. I think Jared's all in on it. Um, Oregon certainly 
is all in on special teams and they start every practice with some kind of skill work. Players have noted um, the improvements that that's happening on special teams. And we finally got to talk with Joe Lorig, the special teams coordinator who came over from Penn state, uh, who is from the state of Oregon or Pacific Northwest. His wife is from here as well. Called it his dream job, called it, you know, coming home. Uh, and I felt like, I walked away and when that interview was done, I found you, Eric, was just like, whoa, there's going to be a lot here that we're going to be able to talk about and write about because he spoke for about 12 minutes. And I feel like every minute that he spoke was very informative. Yeah. And I think what makes it interesting is what they're doing is just interesting, right? Like the subject matter is intriguing. It's, 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 you know, sometimes you hear people talk about special teams and I know I did a little tangent last Friday when Jared and I did a podcast, I kind of tossed Bobby Williams under the bus, but those are always kind of boring special teams interviews with Bobby. Bobby was a perfectly nice guy, but you just kind of came away being like, he didn't seem that excited by it. It didn't make me that excited by it. We talked about like, he just was talking about fair catches and stuff like that. But like with Laura, you've got, a system that's really, you know, it's different and new. I asked like, you know, and I, we, we talked about this a little bit, I think on Friday's show of like the fact that they're breaking it up into basically position groups for special teams and how innovative that is. And I asked Laura if he'd seen that done collegiately. And he said, no, he thought he, thought he I think he believes some teams in the NFL are doing it. Um, but like the fact that this is just like a kind of a, a new concept and it makes a lot of sense. You know, you talk about, I know we talked about this again previously, but like, you know, you, you wouldn't group your whole defense together and your whole offense together and then give each position group like two minutes to talk about their certain things and make a presentation to the entire group. But that's what right. special teams is usually. Instead, you split it into, and he didn't, by the way, want to know, talk about how many different groups because he didn't want yeah. to give away his system, which I thought was kind of interesting. Because I, I guess, I'm guessing he knows this is pretty, this has worked well, his results have been awesome. And that the more this information trickles out, the more there's going to be a common <clears throat> element. Because as he said earlier, like everything's stolen from somebody. Um, and it, it's only a matter of time before probably most schools are doing it similar to this or a lot more are. Um, but the fact that they basically break it up into, you know, the left guards and left tackles on punting are in this room and the snappers and the punters are in this room and et cetera um, for each unit. And that they each get, you know, whatever it is, 15 to 30 minutes, whatever it is each day working on those specific things. That's really beneficial. The other part that I hadn't thought of, which I took away from Coach Lorig, was team building. Is that you now have, you know, a position group of the, you know, the Gunners, which now you've maybe got Avante Dickerson and Josh Delgado or whatever guys who aren't usually in position rooms together, spending times together. So there's opportunity right. for these players to kind of build something that maybe they don't spend a lot of time around each other, but now they do, and so kind of this kind of cross training of, of getting everybody in a room together in different position groups. And they're all working on individual things. It just seems like it makes a lot of sense. Um, and he, there, he credited Todd Graham from Arizona state with coming up mm -hmm. with the idea, by the way, I just wanted to say that Jared, before I toss it your way. Um, but like Todd Graham was like, you're the special teams guy. Why, why don't we run these like offense and defense? And he was like, yeah, that's actually really smart. And so he's been doing this. This has been his system now at Arizona State, Memphis, and at Penn State. And again, they've had a ton of success everywhere where they've gone doing things with this kind of idea. There was a ton to take away from Coach Lori talking. Um, I just, it was like Matt said earlier, it was like a 12 minute long interview, but you just couldn't really stop listening to what he was saying. Just not that it was everything you wanted to hear, but this was a lot of information that you hadn't heard before. Uh, you don't really get to talk a lot about special teams to even the special teams coordinator like he is. Um, it's just kind of a thing that people have blown over for the last couple of years at Oregon. It's not going to be like that. That's for sure. And what Eric just outlined with the multiple position groups for the D for the special teams, uh, Lorig mentioned that he was a defensive coordinator at one point. And like, like Eric mentioned, they have like the position groups for the defensive coordinator for the defense. And he was like, why, why don't I just do this for special teams? And it looks so simple, but like he mentioned, there's not a lot of people doing it. And it, it clearly has, is going to pay dividends. Um, Dan Lanning had talked about how special teams is going to be like the winning edge for us. Like we're not going to lose games with special teams. We're going to win games with special teams. Uh, that was a really interesting quote as well. Um, the other, a couple other takeaways that I had from it, he mentioned how um, players are going to be playing on multiple special teams, meaning like, field goal, punt coverage, and it's not just going to be 
the backups or walk-ons. It's going to be players who can make a difference. So that means starters. That means everybody but quarterbacks, offensive line, and defensive linemen. That's who's going to be on multiple special team units. Um, and I thought that was a really interesting takeaway because remember last year there was a lot of talk of, well, do you want Michael Wright returning punts because he has to go play defense like right before that? Or do you want Johnny Johnson or Micah Pittman on a punt return because he has to go play offense right after he returns the punt? So I don't think that's going to be much of a difficulty for this year's Oregon's team. I think they're going to put the guy who they think is the best back there, or whether it's a gunner, whether it's a snapper, whether it's a lineman, whatever the case may be. Um, I think they're going to put their best talent forward. And lastly, one of my key takeaways was Joe Lorg knows how good he is. <laughs> and I like that. Um, he constantly referenced all of his accolades at Penn state and at Memphis. Um, and I think that's a good thing. Um, he mentioned also that he and Lanning, who had met at Memphis and had, had taught in Arizona State, they talked about how, well, Dan, like you're on the fast track here. Whenever you get a good, whenever you get a gig, give me a call. And it just so happened to be like in his, you know, he's from the Lorg is from the Pacific Northwest. His wife was from Oregon specifically, and it worked out perfectly for him that this was like a dream job, quote unquote, for him, and that Lanning happened to take it. Um, I, I think he's going to provide a lot of help for this team and a lot of help down the road. Uh, it's it's going to be a fun unit to watch, but I still think the best part is that he knows how good he is at his job. And it's a really, it's a really good one for, for Oregon to have. It was notable that he, he brought up the fact that it's an effort thing. It's a buy-in thing. Mm -hmm. uh, of why you're going to be good on special teams. And he, he said part of his job is sales because yeah. no one comes to college football to be the starting right guard on punt. You know, <laughs> it, it's, it, it's a job that you have to kind of convince the, you know, the entire team to buy into. And he pointed out that, Hey, if you, if you do well on special teams, you will get to the NFL. And he pointed out a couple different players that he has coached or, guys that have played for national championship teams. And he referenced how those guys, you know, Michael Parsons being one of them, were all over the special teams units at, at Penn State. And now they're, you know, he, he's one of the best players on defense in the NFL. And so he pointed out that if 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 you buy in on special teams and you and you perform well, that's going to only enhance your NFL prospects, which will instantly, you know, convince a lot of guys, you know, to, to do it. And then on top of that, he pointed out, he, he like, like Jared said, he, he literally pulled stats for where Oregon was at, where Penn State was at, and then mm -hmm. where the teams that made the college football playoffs the last four or five years and showed them, like, outside of, he's, I think he said Clemson one year in which they were just ungodly good on offense. Um Everyone that made the playoffs were good in special teams and probably elite. And he said that really resonated with the team. And you talk to guys and you can see it. Like they're they're buying in. I mean, we were doing the interview with Borg and players walked by and chanted off some kind of phrase, can't remember what it was, but it 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 was something that he had been preaching to the team. And he goes, Look, they're buying in. Like he's getting the buy-in. And I just think Jared touched on it at the very beginning. Um, I think special teams is not hasn't been good. I don't think they devoted a ton of time to it. They had a tight ends coach who was more like an offensive line coach whose title was special teams coordinator, and they didn't they didn't devote a lot of time to it. And we're starting to see that happen, which is a good thing, uh, and will will help this program. As Lorg said, like you, you may not win games, but you won't lose games because if you don't make special teams mistakes, it won't cost you. I think it was CTG was the phrase that they were saying, which is change the game, I think mm -hmm. is what he said it stood for. Um, just to kind of run back to that one. Yeah, Matt, you covered a lot of things that I would have talked about more on, on this sequence. I think the one thing that stood out was, you know, he pointed to the numbers, as you said, but he also pointed like Oregon went 12-2 and two in 2019. 
but was ranked in like the hundreds in most special teams. Could you guys have been 13 and one? You know, he, and he said, I didn't watch the film to know, but like, is it possible if you were just a little bit better? Because there's clearly a correlation between good special teams and winning football games. And as Matt said, it's not going to win you games necessarily, but it's going to stop you from losing games. I think there was, there was clear buy-in. And I think it's interesting. He also said there were two things that he prioritizes on special teams, which is owning the ball, which means you're protecting and you're not turning it over and not committing penalties. And think of how many times there were issues in special teams in those areas the last several years of, you know, you don't have to go back to too many of them, but like the Fiesta Bowl in 2020, think about all the weird alignment issues they had where Iowa State was like, oh, there's no one over there. I'm just going to kick the ball to that part of the field and go get the ball. Oh, great. There's just a, basically an onside kick for no reason. Or, uh, you know, there's countless other ones um, from a penalty perspective of, of blocks in the backs and holds and stuff. So clearly that's going to be a focal point. Um, and I, I just think, and we don't have to continue to belabor too much on the Loric stuff. And there's going to be a lot of written content. I know Matt got something up yesterday. I'm going to get a couple things up today. I know Jared's got something planned. Um, I think we all just came there being like, he was really impressive. And as Jared said, I kind of like that he's he's got a bit of a, a swagger to him. He knows he's done a really good job and he knows he's innovative. And again, like you, you mentioned the fact that he ran, he ran through his own stats. I thought it was really notable. That he was like, I don't want to talk about my system because my system is really effing good. And that's not yeah. fine. But his, my system is really effing good. And I don't want anyone to steal my ideas because I think he knows what he's got is special and gives Oregon and wherever school employs him an advantage on that part of the field. I had just uh, one, one more thing. Um, I think Max Torres at Ducks Digest asked Lorig if he had reviewed any of the film from the previous season of Oregon special teams. <laughs> and mm -hmm. the way he answered it was very polite, but it was basically like, no, I haven't watched any of that garbage. <laughs> and he said, he's like, oh, well, you know, I don't really like to look at like film in the past. He's like, I watched a little bit of it. And really from my perspective, and I think maybe Matt, because he's also laughing at this, is he, he watched some of it and was he probably just threw it right in the trash because <laughs> that is not how he wants to have this special teams coach. And I, I, I kind of agree with him there. I wholeheartedly agree, I should say. Yeah. He, it, it, there was a pause for him to think of what, yeah. of what to say. Yeah. <laughs> for yeah. positives. Uh, so, I, yeah, that's why I laughed because I agree. I thought the same thing, Jared. Um, all right, let's wrap up this show with some recruiting discussion that's turned into an addition to the 2022 team, and that's Kyle Casper, four-star receiver um, from the Phoenix, Arizona area, Gilbert to be exact. Um, he – Committed on Easter, four-star receiver, six-foot-five, 2023 class player. Um, his commitment to Oregon the day of his announcement wasn't the surprise. I mean, it felt like when he announced that it was gonna, that he was going to commit that day, um, Tennessee or Oregon, Tennessee was maybe the odds-on favorite. But after doing some checking, it looked like Oregon kind of swooped back and regained control going into the, the decision date. So it wasn't necessarily that Oregon got him. It's that Oregon got him for 2022. He reclassified. And we see this all the time in basketball, especially at Oregon. I mean, Dan Altman does this almost, for, for a while. It was almost every year he'd had a reclass guy. Football, it's a different deal. It's a different animal. We don't see this very often. And – it comes at a position where I, th I think they had nine scholarship receivers before his addition. Um, they certainly need the help. And he's certainly a big body receiver. He'll be the tallest receiver on roster. I'm curious to see what kind of impact he can make. Yeah, no, the, uh, to the reclass thing, I'm just trying to think about this. Has Oregon ever had a reclass for football? I can't, I can't think of one. I can't think of one for football. I can think of, as you said, a ton for men's basketball. Like that, as you said, that happened, feels like that happened like five yeah. times the last decade. You know, that was pretty pretty regular. It'd be like, oh, and even there was rumors of Mookie Cook doing it. I don't believe that's the case, Matt. But like, it's something that is talked about frequently and happens pretty regularly. And Landing, I think, had some interesting comments. You asked the follow-up of like, is this, is this, how frequent is this? Like, what do you, what's your opinion on it? It kind of compared it to the early enrollees who are also – finishing up high school early it's basically just one semester earlier than you know a player like a an anthony jones who enrolled in january 
I guess, a little bit later for a player like a Jaleel Florence or Devon, Devin Jackson who got here um, for the second part of spring. So that part's not totally <clears> unusual, <throat> but the fact that it's a full calendar year earlier is is a little bit different. And I look at Casper, and I love the body type. By the way, his dad was a really good player at Iowa, played a little bit in the NFL. His dad was really, really fast, kind of different players. Just a little, his dad was like 6'1", 6'2", I think, but ran like sub 4'5". Kyler is 6'5", long wingspan, really good athlete, can jump. Um, seems like he and Ty Thompson have a bit of a history from being from that same part of the area. And there's a couple of photos circulating of, of them, I think with Notre Dame, former Notre Dame coach, current LSU coach, Brian Kelly. Um, mm-hmm. I think I saw that a couple of days ago. Um, they look like they're like 10 years old, by the way. So it's interesting that Brian Kelly was getting on those kids early. Kind of the, the tea leaves were, were coming out. These guys were going to be good he players. Knew. He knew, he was, yeah. Were, he wasn't wrong. Um, but for, for them to be on the same team at Oregon, that'll be fine. And I, I, don't, I don't know what the – it's going to be interesting to see what he can actually provide like I wouldn't be stunned. I mean, first off, he's not enrolling early with the idea of redshirting because yeah. he could stay in high school another year. So maybe there's a, an expectation or, or at least some level of confidence he can, per, you know, perform. But I look at the roster and go like, I don't know what is he maybe sixth or seventh if you're just kind of thinking of kind of where he projects at at Oregon right now. Um, you know, I, I mean, on the outside guys, Troy, Dante, and Chase have been, I think, kind of separated themselves. And then you've got Seven and, and Chris, who've been top inside guys. Chris has also been outside a little bit, Chris Hudson. So, like, is he best case six? Can you still have to contend with Isaiah Bravard, Isaiah Crocker, who there's been quite a bit of compliments thrown his way from players and, and coaches this week. Um, don't want to forget about Josh Delgado. Like, I don't know if it's – I don't expect him to come in and start. I don't know if I expect him to come in and be in the two deep. But, like, the talent's there for him to be a game changer and – because as Matt said, he's going to step on campus and along with Dante Thornton be like the tallest guys at six, five, like he differentiates himself from other players in this roster. Maybe there will be specialized packages around the red zone where it's just the, we're going to have Dante on one side and Kyler on the other. And we're just going to run fade routes. And those guys are going to be tough to contend with because they're six, five with long reach and, and good wingspans. Sounds like Stanford. It does sound like Stanford. Doesn't he? By the way, he, he really resembles a Stanford receiver. Yes. He, he, he does. Once he puts on 20 pounds or whatever it'll be when he plays at his playing weight, he will be very Stanford receivery. Which, yeah, not a, not a terrible thing. No. But uh, the addition of Kyler is really important, obviously. Um, that puts Oregon's, I haven't checked the updated rankings, but it puts Oregon's 2022 class even higher up now. Um, they're. It's impressive that they were able to add Josh Connerly and Kyler Casper right before the buzzer. Seemingly, um, both these guys are going to be, you know, rolling into the in the summer. I think July is the time. I'm not exactly sure how impactful Kyler is going to be in terms of whether or not he'll be like an immediate help to the wide receiver room. Just because he's fresh out of high school, six five, listed at uh, 195 on 247sports.com. Um, that's kind of where Dante Thornton was a year ago. And you, you kind of saw the physical element of college football push Dante Thornton and Troy Franklin and Chris Hudson around occasionally as freshmen. Um, so that's something to look for. Maybe Kyler has put on weight since then, but you know, he's still 18 years old. There's a, but, but down the line, this is where this kind of talent really comes into play. Like Eric was mentioning, when he adds like 20 pounds of, of muscle and good weight, you know, he could be somebody. He reminds me of a similar recruit as Johnny Wilson a few years ago who committed to Arizona State originally. Just that really tall, almost a tight end, maybe not a wide receiver type player. And with how Oregon's offense has been seen by us, at least so very rarely with the two tight end sets, it kind of got me thinking that he could be like a package guy potentially taking the role of a, like a Maliki Matabaum and then pairing Ferguson and Casper on the on, out wide where they're more of an athlete, more of a pass catcher uh, rather than Maliki, who's a little bit more of a, a, a real tight end, like someone who can block. Um, I think that could be a possible combination. Um, but other than that, he certainly provides depth. If his number is called upon during the season due to injury or it's a blowout, whatever the case may be, I'm, I'll be excited to watch him play. We should know, um, Jared, you, you asked about the rankings. Oregon from a high school only ranking. 24-7 Sports now has three different rankings. They have just the traditional high school and junior college 
rankings. They have just transfer rankings. And then they've added a combined. Um, from a combined perspective, they are 16th in the country. Miami is one spot ahead of them at 15. From a traditional just high school and junior college transfer ranking system, Oregon has moved up to 13th. Um, and they are the highest Pac-12 school ranked. Uh, they are ahead of Stanford, um, Arizona, um, and then they're also ahead of, of Miami if, if you're into that type of jockeying information there. So this is a move where Oregon, once again, has seen a big jump in its 22 recruiting class. Yeah, as Jared said, how about Oregon basically probably getting the last like points added in 2022? Yeah. I'm not sure. I mean, there's not any other big prospects really out there, and I'll there probably so. aren't many other guys reclassing. So, I mean, unless we see a big influx of players doing this reclassification thing, maybe it becomes a trend and we see several guys in 23 move to 2022. And as Jared said, there's not a lot of time for that to happen now. We've got a couple months. Um, maybe, maybe we see some of that. Like Oregon might have scored, if you're just looking at it from a team rankings perspective, like kind of the – they, they got a couple buzzer beaters, a couple of the last baskets, or if you will, um, for this class. And as we said, it was already the highest rated class after Connerly. They've just cemented that and I think jumped three spots with this edition of Casper. So big stuff. Just really off topic. I was going through Texas A&M's historic class. This is stupid. This is this is nuts. AM is like a hundred points higher than Oregon's class. It's yeah. absurd. They have three three stars. That's the only that's it. So but anyways, Kyle Casper, yeah, welcome to Oregon. It's gonna do it for us here on the uh, latest edition of the Austin Audible's podcast. Next time you hear us, uh, we will be previewing the spring game. Uh, that will be uh, either drop Thursday or Friday, and then We'll have our spring game coverage on DuckTerritory.com. So make sure to check out everything leading up to it during and after the spring game. And until then, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace. Hip-hop takes the stand in the new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial, now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Rap lyrics are playing an increasingly prominent role in criminal cases. Every song, every lyric, every video that you've ever been involved with, they're going to use against you. Follow rap artist Kemba as he explores the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system. This artistic expression is a confession. I'm ready. Roll the tape. Watch the eye-opening new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Ready? Go. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Hang on! It's off the charts spectacular. Go, go, go! Tom Cruise has outdone himself. The world's coming after you. Stay out of my way. Prepare for one of the best action movies ever made. This is getting exciting. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13.